0: you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. We're going to talk about uh, uh, this first little section of James that talks about trials and, and the suffering that sometimes accompanies trials. And uh, so, uh, hear God's Word. It's printed in your bulletin if you don't have your Scriptures with you. But we'll read uh, verses 2 through 8. So now hear God's Word. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it would be given to him but let him ask in faith with no doubting For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. I know that many of you probably will remember uh, from math class. I think we started learning this particular stuff about math pretty early in our uh, maybe some of you teachers can let me know a pri- about prime numbers, whole numbers, things like that. A prime number is a number that is whole, and it's the and only whole numbers uh, can be divided. They can only be divided by themselves and by the number uh, one. So a whole number uh, to be a prime number means that it can is indivisible by other numbers other than itself. Uh, And number one, there's no remainder. Like the number two, the number three, the number uh, five, seven, eleven, thirteen. You know there's a whole list of these and they go on ad infinitum. Trials and suffering, and and not all trials are coupled with suffering. Some trials are just trials and there's no suffering accompanied them. Uh, When you study for a test... That's a trial uh, you study. It's to try your knowledge and, you know, but there's no, generally no suffering associated with it, at least not in the sense that James is using this. And this is what I want to talk about today. What sense is he talking about trials? What is exactly the trials that James has in mind? And trials are things that tear you to pieces. There are things that take you from being prime and whole and they divide you. They divide your heart, your soul, your mind. Sometimes can be shattering. The trials can be so intense, so painful. And James does not mince words. This is not a man who's being hard or cruel. When he says, count it all joy, he's someone, if you read his history and some of the extra-biblical material, you know this man was remarkable for his own personal suffering, being the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ and having denied his own brother early on in his life and then later coming through hard trials to believe in Jesus and to, and to lead the church in Jerusalem through one of the most difficult periods of time as they marched out into the world to confront the world. It was amazing. And this man knows what he's talking about. He knows where you've been, where I've been, with respect to trials. And God does not want you in pieces. Nowhere in the Bible does He want to shatter you. So when you have a trial, James later, he's going to go on, we'll talk about this. He says, let nobody say they're tempted when they're tempted, that they're tempted by God. God does not tempt you in this way, with a trial. He doesn't throw it there in order to blow your life up. They happen. Trials are universal. They're, cert- they're they're just things that happen. They are part of life. They're part of living in a world that's really messed up, and people who are messed up. And so there, there's all of this going on. And James, don't get caught by surprise. Don't get don't get bushwhacked. Don't get you know don't get clipped like in football or a foul like in basketball or uh, you know whatever other sport uh, metaphor. I'm I don't know. Whatever it is, don't be surprised by these things. They are there, and they're happening. God wants you whole. He wants fullness in your life. He wants, His goal is rebirth, for you to be born again. For you to be redeemed, for you to be restored, for you to be renewed, for you to be recreated. And He means that not only for us as people, but for this whole world. It's a grand and glorious vision. And James, right away, he says, So that, in order that, you may be perfect, which means mature, not moral perfection, but just mature, so that you are mature, complete, lacking nothing. And what that means is that whatever's been robbed from you or stolen from you or crushed out of your life or broken into pieces, he means to restore that. That means that when you lose someone, a person, He means for you to see that person again in a glorified new creation. When you lose your health, I I would boldly say that when we pray for healing, God always heals, 100% of the time. He always heals. Sometimes He heals in this life, He always heals in the next you got. Can- I'm not going to have my cancer when I go. You won't have your whatever it is that you've got, your disease, when you go to heaven and you go be with Him. And you won't have it in the new creation. Wow! He always heals. But we're limited to this time and trials happen in this world and it's, it can be crushing and difficult. So, we're going to talk about three things. Here's an outline. It's just very simple. What makes... A trial, a trial. What makes a trial a trial? Secondly, we're going to talk about doubt. What about doubt? He tells you, do not doubt. And that's a command. He's using an imperative and he says, you do not doubt. Well, everybody has doubts. What in the world is he talking about? I'm going to share with you what I think he's getting at. And uh, not what I think he's getting at. What the Bible says he's getting at, and also how you are to start interacting with the doubt that comes up, and then where does he take us? And I think this is uh, this is the most exciting part of this passage. So let's go. Let's let's uh, start talking about what makes a trial a trial. Now, let me qualify that. What makes a trial a trial in the sense that James is talking about it? There are trials in life that James isn't talking about. He's not talking about the trial like I say so often. You're walking in the kitchen, there's warm chocolate chip cookies and you know there's really cold, ice cold milk in the refrigerator. Well, that's a trial. But that's not what he's talking about. All right. He's not talking about the, the, your final exams in uh, uh, math. He's not even talking about this afternoon. I'm on the commission that will ordain Dustin Hunt, Dawson's brother, and Rick's going with me, and, and Dave's going with me. That we are on this commission. Ben's going to go, and you're on the you're not on the commission, but you have to come up and do the deed, right? Because he's an ordained PCA elder. So we're going to we're going to ordain, and in order to be be ordained in the PCF. You have to go through what we call trials of ordination. This is after you've been to seminary, after you've done all the graduate work, which is very difficult. Then you begin the process of trials of ordination. There's seven exams that you do. They're written. They're, uh, uh, and this is after you're out of school. My goodness, you've forgotten everything the day after you graduate, right? And then, and then all of a sudden you need a job and they want to test you all over again. It's horrible. It's a beast. And you go through these trials and they're written and they're oral and you you go to Presbytery and you sit on the floor and all these people are looking at you and they can ask you anything. It's very difficult. Well, that's a trial. But the trial doesn't start until something else happens. In his prayer, Dave mentioned my Uncle Bill, who we lost three years ago after years of battling horrible death. He had five or six terrible diseases and that would have killed most people, but he was such a strong constitution. He was here on Sunday. You know, it wouldn't matter. Powerful. Paulette lost her sweet daughter 11 years ago this last month. And the trial does not start when you got the phone call and it didn't happen in all those months that we worked through the difficulties, Deanne and her family and all of us really trying to help Bill. That's not when the trial hits. You know when the trial comes? Is when that horrific event, when Paulette called me on the phone, she was in shock. Her and Max were already on the road heading to Albuquerque. We were all in shock. That's not when the trial starts. The trial comes later. The trial come later. Look at verse 3. When you meet trials of various kinds, you know that it is the testing of your faith. What James is saying is the trial is going to happen. They are certain. And some of them are just going to be trials. You go through it. You don't have a big issue. Uh, you know, it's not something that's really interacting with your faith, so to speak. But there are other trials that make you question your faith. You start asking the, the, uh, the, the, the question, why? Anything can be a trial. You can, waking up in the morning can be a trial. Just getting up and going to work, for crying out loud. Driving in traffic is a trial. Raising kids, marriage, relationships, all these things are trials. But let me say something, I hope you listen. Trials are impersonal. They're just things. They're history. They're events. They're, they're things that happen. When do they become personal? When they tear you to pieces. When they take your heart and shred it apart. When, they're, when it's ruining your body and you're asking, God, why is this happening to me? Or your marriage is being fractured and falling apart. And you're saying, why? Or you're suffering with depression. And you're saying, "Why I can't beat this, I can't, it's tearing me apart. You're no longer prime, you're no longer whole, you're being taken apart. Now you're in a trial when your faith is engaged. This is the kind of trial that James is talking about. You lose a job, you lose your marriage, you lose your health, you have the death of a spouse, you have the death of a child. The circumstances in and of themselves are not the trial, it's when it interacts your faith. When it becomes personal. And here's how you know that it's a trial. Your faith will be confronted and doubt will appear. Doubt will surface. Your deepest beliefs, particularly beliefs, and he's talking about your belief in God. What are the presuppositions that you already have in your mind through a lifetime maybe of being raised in the church, or maybe you're just a recent convert, and you're just learning all this stuff about Christianity, and you hear us say things like, God is good, He loves you, He cares for you, He's sovereign, He's controlling all things, and then pow, the worst thing in the world happens to you. And you go, wait a minute. Chuck told me he loved me. Chuck told me a grace. Chuck's telling me Jesus. Chuck's telling me, what is going on? I can't believe. And you start losing your way. And what does James say that's like? What does he say is going on? You're getting whipped and tossed by winds and waves. You're becoming unstable. Doubt is starting to come in and work on you. And you're starting to fear. And you're starting to have these things happen. That's the trial that James is talking about. Not every single thing that happens in your life. But when it confronts your faith, when it becomes personal. When Paulette called me and told me Alexa was in an accident with her, the kids, and Lauren's here today, we almost lost Lauren. When that happened and she called me, I, I went into shock. And that's not even my family. But I, I was in shock, and a few minutes later, she called me back. She's no longer injured. She's dead. And I have to tell you, my, my world came apart. I don't know how Paulette felt. I found out how she felt later. But I mean, at the moment, you go into shock. It's when all of those questions start to arise, and the years after that, how are you going to deal with it? James is saying those trials will disintegrate you. A prime number is a whole number, an integer, integrate, primary, first, whole, complete. And when things start taking you apart, folks, trials are very destructive. And everyone goes through them. We have all been there. Some of you have had some horrific trials that are almost unspeakably bad. Others, maybe not so much, but you will I'd be a terrible pastor if I didn't tell you to just get ready. Things happen. And I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to bring hope to this. Not in myself and not in your church, but in a person. Who went through a trial, that, a cosmic trial. None of us have even come close to facing what our Savior faced. You either believe that or you don't. You either embrace that and make that the bottom, the foundation of your life or you're going to get whipped and taken into, you're going to get taken apart. But if you make Him the foundation and you recognize who He is and what He's done for us, you have hope and you can start to count things as joy because you have a different perspective. So, A trial is a trial when it attacks your faith or confronts your faith or intersects your faith and you begin to doubt. Trials are certain, I told you last week, but how you respond is not and therefore that's the whole reason James is writing this letter. He's telling you, you have a choice in how you respond. Now, uh, uh, we didn't have any choice with my uncle who suffered for all these years. He was declining and declining. But we had a choice in how we responded. Unless God did a miracle and just healed him completely or some procedure healed him, he was going to go to die. But we had a choice on how we were going to go down that road with Him, and then my aunt has a choice now in how she will live going forward. The lamentation, the sorrow, the loss, not going to go away. This doesn't replace that. But, if you believe your Bible, joy and faith and hope and love and the person and work of Jesus Christ is the foundation, the thing that is going to buoy You hold you up so you don't drown, so you don't come apart, so that there can be this power underlying all the grief, all the sorrow, all the pain, all the fear, all the doubts that will hold you whole and complete. Otherwise, you'll be whipped around like a wave, like the wind, all the metaphors that he so brilliantly uses it. If you don't do this, folks, then all you're experiencing, listen to me with all the compassion I can share with you. You're just going to have nothing but raw, bitter pain. And sometimes it is pain to such an extent people want to die. They want to commit suicide, sometimes they want to take their life because the pain becomes so intolerable that living with the pain is more uh, undesirable than actually doing violence to themselves. And if you get there and you start thinking about that, and I, 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 I don't want to live anymore, please call me. There are a hotline. Call. Talk to somebody because that's when someone else can come in and kind of hold you up just for that moment so that you don't go there. Why we need each other. So what about doubt? Let's look at this second thing. It's really fascinating. Look at 5 and 6. I'm kind of jumping over. because We covered these verses pretty extensively last week. What about doubt? We think doubt is the enemy of faith, and I'm going to say something, I hope you'll accept it for what it is. I think that doubt can be, and often is, an indication that you have authentic faith. Now let me explain. I met people as a pastor, and even before when I was just a Christian, you know, now I'm a pastor, I'm a better Christian than most people, but... uh, No. You know, I had lots of doubts. Everybody has doubt. And uh, doubt in and of itself may be an indication that you have authentic faith because authentic faith vibrates. It resonates with doubt. You see, if you doubt... Then faith starts going, boom 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 or, you know, faith is there, and doubt is going to come, and it's going to vibrate, and they're going to kind of vibrate together, you know, because they're tuned to the same. And so there you go, you've got doubt, and you start thinking, okay, I'm doubting. I don't know anybody that doesn't doubt Abraham. Adam and Eve doubted, for goodness sakes. They doubted God's word, and they took the fruit, and look at where it's led, And doubt's there, it's a reality. Every one of you has doubt. The people that scare me, and I've been in pastoral ministry for almost 20 years now, and I had a whole career before that, so I've had lots of experience with people and my own self, worst of all, but everyone doubts. The people that scare me, that terrify me, that bring chills are the ones who come to me and say, I have no doubts. I am absolutely certain of everything. My cone of certainty, remember guys we were talking about the cone of certainty this morning? Oh, my cone of certainty is just, it's perfect. What's up there in the top of the cone is where everybody should be there. And I'm going, are you out of your mind? You know, I hate butternut squash ice cream. And I hope you hate it too. But in your cone of certainty, it may be way up there. I don't know, but it's just not in mine. But we want to take preferences and we want to push them into the cone up way at the top and make everybody's got to be this, everybody's got to be this, everybody's got to think the way I think, do what I do, and, and the ramifications are unbelievable. Doubt can take us crazy places, but doubt, listen to what I'm saying, doubt in and of itself is not bad, it's just What is? Like a trial. It's just there. If you have authentic faith, you're going to have some doubts. There's going to be questions. Some of them can be really substantial. Some of them can just be silly. Like how many... You know, I'm not sure how many uh, angels can dance on the head of a pin. Well, you know, God doesn't know that either. That was very funny. What is wrong? I'm just falling flat today, Rick. You're going to have to coach me, brother. I'm going to need some coaching on comedy. Is he the wrong one, Karen? Okay, so don't... All right. Well, I mean, there are some things that are just, you know, doubt. What are you doubting that for? But honestly, other things? Wow, that's nothing wrong with that. You ought to doubt some things. Okay. Doubt in and of itself. All these people doubt. Read the Psalms, for goodness sake. I spend some time every day. I've told you this. I'm not bragging. This is just my personal routine. I read I have a reading schedule in my phone. Thank God for my Uversion app. It has some great stuff in it. Uh, I have a, a thing I do every day. I've been doing it for five years where I read some of the Psalms and Proverbs every single day. In addition to whatever else I have to read. It just takes a few minutes, so it's not a big deal. But I spend time in Psalms and Proverbs, and it's all about Doubt. They're all about, you know, what is going on with this world? David would cry out, Why? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you leave me here? How long are you going to let my enemies prosper? If I die, if I go to the grave, who's going to praise you? There's nobody but me. Wow. Now that's honest, that's real. But notice who he's talking to as he doubts. You see, he's addressing God with his doubts. He doesn't give God the hi-ho and then go off on his own and be bitter and angry about it and become cynical. What I told you last week, cynicism is the enemy of doubt. Doubt is just doubt. Doubt. But when you let doubt run wild and have its own way and just go crazy in your mind and there's nobody in your life that can provide... You don't have a great pastor like me who will provide guardrails for you. I'm going to start laughing at my own joke. You don't have a great pastor who can, you know, come and put some guardrails up there gently and say, no, 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 no. Whoa, stop with that. Don't let that go wild. It's going to tear you apart. Toxic, listen, toxic, unfiltered, unchallenged doubt when it's allowed to run wild, when it's not confronted with the truth of God's Word and of the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus and the reality of the sacraments and the the hands of worship raised up to our Almighty God and the hearts poured out in pain and anguish and and suffering to Him, when you don't challenge doubt, it will run wild, it will become cynicism, it will become bitter and toxic and angry and it will tear you to pieces. You cannot let it go. This is why James says, consider it all joy. He didn't say feel joyful. He didn't say be joyful. He didn't say act joyful. He said take the trial, the suffering. And at some point, you may need help. You may need your pastor. You may need a spouse. You may need a mentor, a coach, somebody in your life who's not in the trial directly, to come in and help you, but you've got to consider, consider the word, consider in Greek means to think about it, to make, make an assessment, and to take it and put it in the column it belongs, like, a, you know, you're, you're adding up columns, those of you that are good with math and, you know, accounting and so, that, she'll understand, you, got, you know, you've got to put the things in the right column or you come up with the wrong sum, You've got to take the trial and do something with it for crying out loud. You can't just let it have its way with you. You consider. And what he says is, do this. When the trial comes, yeah, you're going to be in shock. You're going to be grieving. You'll be, you know, you're going to be broken hearted. Your, your life may actually be coming apart. You may be swinging and unstable. But at some point, the only way you're going to get your footing, the only way is to consider... It, the trial is an it. It is not you. It's just an it. It's a, it's a historical thing that happened. And it is hurting you. You've got to take it and count it joy. You move it from this column of, of hopelessness and emptiness and a grave. You move it over to this column. And to this column... You see a Savior who knows your pain, who went into cosmic trial for you, who suffered in ways we will never know. We're going to spend eternity looking into the mystery of Jesus suffering for us. And it's going to take our breath away for eternity. And all of our trials, all of our suffering, all of our pain, if we will do this, count it all joy, because you know the trying of your faith will produce patience. He's just telling us, hang in with your Savior. I say it, run to Jesus, run, run, run. Grab a hold of Him. Shake His legs and say, well, I don't know why you're doing this, but I'm not letting you go. I'm going to be like Jacob. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Jacob wrestled with God. He didn't understand what was going. He wrestled with the angel. And he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. Where in the world is our tenacity, folks? We get more serious about football. Some of you are still cowboy fans. <laughs> How'd that go? Okay. I'm getting better, see? Okay. How many of you are still cowboy <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, some things we'll just hang on to, right? But why do we give up on God so quickly and get bitter and angry and cynical? No. You can't let it happen. You become like a wave, driven, tossed, divided, double-minded, unstable. You will not receive anything, he says. One of my favorite psalms, one that I pray almost every day, um is Psalm 86. I had it memorized at one time, but as I, when I turned 65, I started to forget it. Um, Psalm 86, I love it. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. The proverb says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of true knowledge. You can't be an unthinking Christian. You've got to think about your faith. If you want to be a Buddhist or Hindu or get into altered states of consciousness and empty your mind, go join another religion. Christianity never tells you to do that. Never. Not in a million years. It says, Think, think, think. consider. Make yourself sit down and meditate on that Word of God, especially when you're being torn to pieces, especially when you don't want to pray, you pray, especially when you're feeling it hard to get out of bed on Sunday morning. You get up and you go. Because Not because it's bad for you or going to hurt you or you're going to miss out. No, because that's where you're saying to your soul, I'm not going to be divided, I'm going to go to the wholeness of the table, of the sermon, of the scripture, of the worship of Almighty God. I wish more of us would just close our eyes, lift our hands, block out everything and just go to the throne of grace. Teach me your way. I love uh, J. Hudson Taylor. When I, when I uh, was going through, and Marty V could tell you the same, we were going through a very bad time in our marriage. We were, you know, on the verge of divorce. And a lot of things were really impossible. We weren't going to be able to fix a lot of what was wrong. And uh, thankfully, someone uh, gave me a book. I read the book. And I came across this quote in the book that from J. Hudson Taylor, who was the missionary to the China Inland Mission. He's very famous. Many of you probably know who he is. And uh, one of the most successful missionaries ever because China is going to be more Christian than America probably in another 20 years. So, maybe more Christian than the rest of the world. Amazing what is happening. And Hudson Taylor said this, and I have clung to this, it saved me then, and it'll save me going forward, and I hope it means the same to you. I've shared it with you before. It matters not, listen, it matters not how great the pressure is. Only... Where the pressure lies. As long as the pressure does not come between me and my Savior, but presses me to Him, then the greater the pressure, the greater my dependence upon Him. Think of what that, just that idea. And that idea is nothing but a distillation of the Bible in all of its beauty. He's saying it doesn't matter where the pressure, it doesn't matter the trial, no matter how horrific it is. If you will let it press you to your Savior, not divide you from Him, then the greater the pressure, the more my dependence is on Him. And you know what? At the end of that dependence is a resurrection, and everything you've lost is back and more but infinitely more every heartache every pain every tear you've ever shed the scripture says he's taking those and putting them in a bottle and reserving them because someday they will be made right and James is saying don't let the the trial that thing just, it's just a thing that happens. Don't let it take you apart. Not down to that level. Stay. Run to Jesus. And where does He take us? This this just dawned on me. I I don't know. I I don't have any special insight. It just dawned on me. And I look at verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, ask God. You're going to need wisdom to go through trials because there's all kinds of thoughts that are just pouring into your mind. Your heart is, being, is in pieces. It's erupting. Everything is just out of sync. Nothing is lining up. You're, you're, you're broken. You're emotionally. You may be in shock. Some trials are, are shocking. They, they will just take your breath away like what happened to Paulette. Anything like that would just just come in and wow, it's like a grenade going off, shrapnel going everywhere. But later on you're gonna be thinking about it, you're gonna be considering it. And where does James says? He said, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Ask God to help you. Wisdom is being able to properly discern things that the Bible doesn't talk about necessarily. It doesn't, otherwise we would have volumes and volumes and volumes, who knows how much of just books and books and books. Outlining every possible scenario and telling you exactly what to do. Rules, rules, rules. We don't have that many rules in the Bible. What we have is wisdom. He's saying, ask for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom. Then you will know how to sort these things out. Not that they're going to go away or be perfect. But you will be able to stand and stay whole. Are you following me? Ask for wisdom. Then look where he takes us. This is is incredible. This man, very short, you know you can read the whole book of James in 15 minutes if you're a slow reader. If you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives, listen, He gives generously, He gives to all, and He gives without reproach, and it will be given to you. When James uses the word faith, asking in faith, he is not saying faith, something that you have inside of you. He's saying, your willingness to trust and have confidence in God's character what do you believe about God is he indifferent is he the unmoved mover of Aristotle the one who has no emotion no compassion he just sits up there and like a puppet master he set everything in motion and then he just lets it go Or does his heart break when yours breaks? Does he feel it when you feel it? When he, when you weep, does he weep with you? Jesus wept the tomb of Lazarus. You think your God doesn't weep? That he doesn't know the sorrow of death? He gives his character. Your God's character is one of... Lavish generosity, giving he gives he doesn't just give, he gives generously grace, goodness, love, compassion, and the promise of restoration he gives lavishly, prodigiously, ridiculously, almost I mean, any of us in the United states we ought to we ought to be out of our minds, we are so rich, even the poorest of us have. Beyond anything anybody could ever imagine in the history of the world, nobody's had what we have. He is ridiculously generous. And he gives to all. Think of this: none of you are exempt. No male, no female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, handsome, and ugly. You get the. I mean, there's nothing. He doesn't look at any of your stuff and say, oh, I am pretty good. No. He gives to all. And the final one this should just knock is to take your breath away. He gives without reproach. You know, I, I don't like people that are just always carping and complaining and grousing about every, everything. Do you like that? How many of you like that? Some of you aren't answering because you are that. Everything's awful. Everything's terrible. Everything's so hard. You know, grousing and complaining about everything. And if, and if you do something and says, didn't I tell you so? I told you that was going to happen. You didn't listen. You should have listened last time. Or they'll give it to you and say, here, I'm going to give you this. But boy, if you don't perform for me, you know, I know what you did. I don't trust you. And, you know, that's with reproach. You come to God with any request and He pours out His heart lavishly. And yeah, some things don't come right away, but in the resurrection they all come. But we're so tied to this life, we're so much selfish and about ourselves, we can't get over ourselves. That's why Paul said, you got to die. You want to follow the Savior? Jesus said, you got to die. you got to lose yourself to find yourself. No half-measures. He gives without reproach. God always does this. Listen, let me finish with this. Gone over. Sorry. He always finishes. He always says this and never this. He always says, Where are you? Not I see you. Where are you? my lovely beautiful child where are you not i see you that's reproach and never you come to him you come to him with your heart open and you say i don't know i'm doubting i'm broken i'm in pieces and he will give you wisdom without reproach lavishly generously to all to anyone just ask just ask Here's the scripture you all know, but I'm going to read it to you as it's written in Greek and how you should read it as well. For God so loved the world. The world so means for God in this manner, after this manner, thusly, in this way. For God so loved the world in this way, in this manner, He gave. He gave his only son, lavish something I would never, I would never give one of my children for any of you, and I wouldn't give them for the whole city of El Paso. If they said, "Give me Justin or give me Daniel," and then the uh, population of El Paso uh, can be saved, I would say goodbye, adios. For the world, God gave. He gave lavishly. He gave his only son. He didn't have ten to give. He had one. He gave him. That whoever believes to all, that they would not perish. And without reproach, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. No reproach. No, He didn't send His Son to condemn the world. He sent His Son to save the world. That the world through Him might be saved. And Jesus perfectly displayed that character of God. Nobody can look at him and say, oh, he was a stingy or he was meany or he held back and he wasn't all that. You know what? He was all that. (sighs) All that and more. And I know, I know that probably 90% of us are probably in some sort of pain somewhere, some trial is afflicting somewhere in our lives. There's something And I'm going to say this last thing. Psalm 69, Psalm 89, Romans 15. All of these scriptures all say this. Quoting from an Old Testament, a messianic psalm. The Messiah says this to his Father in heaven. The reproaches of them that reproached you fell on me. Jesus took all the reproach, that cup of wrath, he drank it to the dregs so that you could drink this cup of rejoicing and know that it's all joy. At the end of the day, no, you'll suffer the rest of your life. You're going to have a, Paulette's never going to get over Alexa. I think about Alexa every day and she wasn't my daughter. So I don't know how you manage. She does. But I count it joy because I know I'm going to see that sweet little face. And I know I'm going to see my uncle again who was a remarkable man by any measure. And I know I'll see you too. And you get to see me. Thing. Hooray! Let's pray. Father, uh, we love you. Uh, we know these trials come. We know that you're not the author of these trials. But you know that they come and you tell us to respond a certain way. And I'm asking, please, that you would change my heart, that you would give me wisdom so that I know how to respond. And I pray that everyone here will pray that prayer. That regardless of the trial, whatever it is, where it's confronting our faith, that we will consider the truth of your word. Consider the joy that is lying before us that you have promised at the expense of your blessed Son. A guarantee that none of us can even imagine that is promised to us. And so as we suffer now, as we go through these trials, uh, we don't want to minimize them, but I pray that you would grant wisdom to everyone that's here and give them a new insight. Help us. Save us. Have mercy on us. May we run to Jesus, arms open wide, His body and His blood laid out before us right now so that we can take and eat and see that your mercy endures forever. Amen.